Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Hebrews chapter 1. Our Heavenly Father, we come before your presence to study your word together, that we may be doers of it and not hearers only. We thank you for the teaching ministry of the Holy Ghost, who will enlighten us, direct us, lead us, and guide us into all that is true. We also thank you for attentive ears. Receptive hearts and open minds. And as an act of our will, we now set ourselves to receive from your holy written word. I thank you for utterance in the Holy Ghost to proclaim with boldness the truth of your word that our faith would stand not in human philosophy or religious tradition, but in the power of the living God and resurrected Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to begin by sharing with you a quote from Dr. Billy Graham who said, if you look in any direction, whether it is technological, physiological, the world as we know it is coming to an end. Scientists predict it. Sociologists talk about it. Whether you go to the Soviet Union or anywhere else in the world, they are talking about it. The world is in a state of shock. I believe, beloved, uh, along with many others, that we are living in the last days. According to the Word of God, according to end-time Bible prophecy, we are living in the last days. I know there are some that will say, well, how do you know that for sure? How can you be sure of that? We hear that said very often, but how do you know that it's true? Just what does the Bible have to say about it? Well, I want you to notice in the book of Hebrews chapter 1, beginning with verse 1, we have revealed to us the very fact that we truly are living in the last days. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath, now notice the expression, in these last days... Spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Notice the expression in these last days, and turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 2, verse 17. The book of Acts, chapter 2, and verse 17. And the scripture reads. And it shall come to pass in the last days. And it shall come to pass in, now notice the expression once again, the last days, saith God. Notice, saith God. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. By these two scriptures, we have evidence to the fact 
that the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost indeed marked the beginning of the last days. The beginning of the last days. So we see here by these two scriptural references, indeed we are living in the last days and the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ and His earthly ministry on this earth, coupled with the outpouring of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost, marked the beginning of the last days. Now turn with me to Second Peter chapter 3. And Peter adds his testimony to the fact that we indeed are living in the last days. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 3. Knowing this, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust and saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this, Peter says, they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Notice Peter's testimony. He says, yes, indeed, we're living in the last days, and many will scoff and laugh, and they'll say, well, where is the promise of His coming? Since the beginning of creation, it's been all the same, and that's all they can see, that it's all the same. There have been no change. Or change has taken place. It's all the same. Man's just as he was then. So, where's the promise of his coming? But you notice that P Peter responds to them by saying that as far as the Lord is concerned, a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. Time has no meaning with God as far as God's concerned. But as far as we are concerned, time has definite meaning and purpose. God, he said, is just waiting for men to get saved. God is patient and long-suffering toward men, evildoers on the earth, because he wants them to be born again. He wants them to be saved and escape eternal damnation. And so although the day of Pentecost and ministry of Jesus marked the beginning of the last days, some nearly 2,000 years have come and gone since the beginning of the last days. Now, I want you to take note once again to verse 8. But, beloved, be not ignorant... Of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Now, according to Bible chronology, we understand that the earth, or let's put it this way, we understand man since Adam has lived upon the earth nearly 6,000 years. And we also know that every 2,000 years since the creation of Adam, some important Bible event occurred. If you go back to the six days of creation or the seven days where God rested, and you use what Peter said here by saying that, well, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day, 
then we can say that nearly 6,000 years have come and gone, or the first six days of creation have been fulfilled in those 6,000 years. And you go back and you see that from the time of Adam to Abraham was 2,000 years, or the first two days of creation. Then you see that the second 2,000 years consisted of a time from Abraham to Jesus came. And when Jesus came here upon this earth, it was 2,000 years afterward, another great Bible event occurred or took place. Jesus was born, lived upon this earth, and of course, functioned in the ministry that God had called him to and placed him in, and carried out the works of the Father. We can call that 4,000 years having passed, or the first four days of creation being fulfilled. And since the time of the Lord Jesus Christ, His departure from the earth and ascension and seating at the Father's right hand, nearly 2,000 more years have come and gone. Which brings us to where we are right now. Nearly 6,000 years have passed since Adam was created. Now, for those of you that might be interested, the Bible does agree with science with regard to the age of the earth. Some think that the earth is only 6,000 years old. But if you go back in the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1, you'll find out that the earth was void and without form, but God didn't make it that way. And if you do yourself some research and study, you'll you'll discover some things way back concerning a pre-Adamite age that existed here upon this earth before the time of Adam. And that in that time that we see in Genesis 1, 1, it was Void without form and void and there was chaos and, and there was nothing upon the face of the earth. The waters rolled over the face of the earth. There was, it was in a chaotic state of, of judgment. And then all of a sudden God spoke and said and then there was a, an act of recreation. But that's another subject. But just for those that might be concerned about it, wanting to know what the Bible says about what science says, just know that there's a, a, a vast period of time between Genesis 1.1 and 1.2. God didn't make the earth void and without form, as Isaiah said. It was formed to be inhabited by God. And there was an activity going on here upon this earth, but it was under judgment. And then Adam came. And since the time of Adam, 6,000 years have come and gone. And therefore, we can say that 6,000 years or six days of creation are about to be fulfilled. So after 2,000 years, we discover then that there will only be one day left, or one period of a thousand years left, which would mark, what, the seventh day of rest, which as we know it to be in our time as being the 1,000 millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ upon this earth as the Prince of Peace, which would mark the seventh day. So if you look at it like that, then you can best understand that in God's timetable, as He has set things in motion, These six days and the seventh day of rest have meaning, the way Peter saw it as being 6,000 years of work and 1,000 years of rest. What God created in 6,000 years, or in six days rather, took man 6,000 years to destroy, if you want to look at it that way. I mean, look at the world today. What it took God six days to create, man destroyed in 6,000 years. Brought it to where it's at right now. Well, so then we can understand that this last day would mark the last day in the human week of God's divine plan for man. 
And according to God's timetable, it can mark the 1,000-year millennial reign of Christ. So what's about to take place, of course, is Jesus coming in the rapture. And we'll get to that in a minute. Back to the earth in the air to receive us and to raise us up. But let's look at another particular scripture that tells us or reveals to us the fact that we are truly indeed living in the last days. 1 John chapter 2, right there. 1 John chapter 2. And look at verse 18. First John chapter 2. First epistle of John in verse 18. Little children, it is the last time. Or it's one translation says, it is the last hour. As ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is. Notice, John said, we know that it is indeed the last time or the last hour. Now, once again, I want to remind you that when these men are writing with regard to the last days, the last hour, the last time, they are talking about a period of time that extends from the birth of the first advent of the Lord Jesus Christ until the second advent of the Lord Jesus Christ when He comes again on the Mount of Olives in His second coming. So that's the period of time that the Bible defines as being the last days, that particular period of time. Now, if John meant this is the last hour when he wrote it, one hour, one hour after he wrote the letter, everything should have transpired. Everything should have happened. Jesus should have come back one hour after that. But you see, he's not referring to one literal hour He's talking about the last period of time before things begin to change and we go into a different dispensation. So, this might interest you as it did me. An individual by the name of Dr. Leslie Weatherhead calculated out the average length of life with the hours in one day in order to illustrate the importance of counting or numbering our days that we live here upon this earth, just like God does. He has a timetable of all things. He knows when things are going to happen. And with regard to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, He said, no man knows. And that's why we shouldn't set dates and times as to when He's going to come. We know approximately about when He's going to come according to God's timetable. We don't know the exact date, hour, or time. But this fellow was interested in discovering about how long a person lives upon the face of the earth and then taking that average and calculating it out so we can discover with regard to one particular day, just where he is at in time in his own life. And if you're interested, it's just a little side journey here. At the age of 15, in a person's life, if you're 15 years old out there, it is 1025 in the morning in your life. If you're 20 years old out there, then it's 1134 in the morning in your life. If you're 25 years old, then it's 1242 p.m. in the afternoon. If you're 30 years old, it's 151 p.m. If you're 35 years old, it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. If you're 40, it's 4.08 p.m. If you're 45, it's 5.15 in the p.m. And then it's, if you're 50, it's 6.25. If you're 55, it's 7.34. If you're 60, it's 8.42. If you're 65, it's 9.51. If you're 70, it's 11 p.m. and he stopped there. Figure the rest of it, you're on your way to the midnight hour. 
Now, I know about you, but I know where that puts me. puts me right around 4 o'clock. Not quite 4.08, but around 4 o'clock. 4.08's coming. But it's about 4 o'clock in my life. Where are you at? 4 o'clock going on midnight. With regard to time, I think that should help us understand the importance of numbering our days. Don't have too many seconds to live here left upon this earth. Should Jesus tarry, it's even less than we, what we think or anticipate. But you see, it all works out that way, beloved. God has a timetable. Our lives have a timetable. We understand that. We know that. Sometimes we look at life as being, we're still teenagers, 10.25 in the morning. Well, we better wake up because the time is far spent. Amen? The time is far spent. Now, look at another scripture in 2 Timothy with me, if you would, please. Again, to, to, to show to us or to reveal to us the fact that we are definitely living in the last time. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, we have certain conditions listed with regard to what it will be like in the last times or in the last hour of the last days. That period of time from Christ to His second advent, these are the things that will begin to unfold. And in 2 Timothy 3, 1, this know also... That in the last days, again the expression is used, the last days, that period of time from Christ until a second advent are coming, perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truth breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. Now we can put it in a nutshell and say, and say it this. He, what he was saying was there's going to be an, an increase in the breakdown of marriages and also of family unity. That's going to be on the increase because individuals are going to become more selfish, more self-centered, self-willed, searching out things that will please them and appease them and not God. As a result, it's going to bring destruction to the marital relationship and also to the family unit. And we've seen all these things unfold right before our eyes. We have seen, you know, disrespect with regard to being submissive to authority. We've seen people burning their draft cards and not submissive to the government. We've seen uh, marriages falling apart. We have seen children not being obedient to their parents and, and disrespect, disrespecting their parents like never before. We've seen all these things begin to happen right here in the day in which we live. Now, we can go on and just give you more evidence. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, look at that one, and then we'll just share some others. In verse 1, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times, notice again, the latter times, talking about the last days in which we are living, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. And what he's actually saying to us is that there's going to be a rise in cults and there's going to be a rise in deception. And many will inch themselves away from the true faith that there is in Christ Jesus. They'll depart from that little by little, looking out for all kinds of different things, excitements and, and supernatural experiences or spectacularism in their lives and all that. And they'll depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. And we've seen a rise in deception. We've seen a rise in false cults. And all that happened in the day in which we live. If we want more evidence or proof of the fact that we're living in the last days, Daniel 12, 4. Just write it down real quick. It says there's going to be progress made in travel. It also says there's going to be an explosion of knowledge. 
And if you'll go back and do a study, you'll find out how knowledge over the years has increased and doubled and multiplied like never before. And man's, if you think about it, how many of you have been listening to the radio broadcast, the television broadcast about the technology that we have in the United States of America, in our military, I mean units. Can you imagine? Think about it. The ability that we have. All this came about recently. And it's a part of the, of the, the end time prophecy being fulfilled. How knowledge is going to just explode. Man's going to travel to and fro so quickly. And we see all that happening. So once again, these things give evidence to the fact that we are living in the last days. And one thing that took place on May 14, 1948, is the rebirth of the nation of Israel. And when that took place, it was a definite sign that we are living in the latter part of the last days. And possibly in the last generation. Because when that event took place and occurred, according to the Word of God in Matthew 24, we discover the fact that truly our redemption is drawing nigh. And the day of the Lord is at hand. For it was prophesied that it would occur. Now, there are many other scriptures that we can use to give evidence to the fact that we are living in the last days. What I want us to do is, is to be informed, advised, and, and understand some things about the different events that are going to take place in God's calendar of events for man. Now, I'm not going into any in-depth teaching in end-time Bible prophecy, but I just want to make it simple. End-time Bible prophecy made simple so that we can have an understanding of the things that are taking place, especially as we are confronted with the things that we see in the world today, so that we are not unprepared, but that we are prepared and that we know what we should be doing and what we should be preparing for. Now, you'll notice if you'll turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, our brother saying about it this morning, the next event that can occur on God's calendar of events for mankind is an event called the rapture of the church. I know there will be those that are out there that will have their own opinions. I know there are those on television that preach out against the teaching or the doctrine of the rapture. Some say it didn't come about until 1900 and this or whatever year. But, beloved, I believe that this Bible was written long before that and the Apostle Paul gave revelation of it by the Lord Jesus Christ and what he said is, no matter what man says. The rapture of the church is an event that can occur at any time right now. It's revealed to us here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning at verse 13. And it is an event that involves a twofold supernatural operation of the power of God. Let's begin reading at verse 13 and we'll understand it. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, as even as others have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain to the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or go before them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Now hold that thought in mind and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 real quick, if you would, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 
And let's begin reading from verse 51. Notice the Apostle Paul once again is, is writing as he is led by the Spirit of God, and I'm sure directed by the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, Behold, in verse 51 of 1 Corinthians 15, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep or die, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. In that word moment there, in the Greek, is a word that means in an atomic moment. In an atomic moment. Much faster than you can blink your eye. In an atomic moment, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. The rapture of the church involves a twofold working of the, of the miracle working power of God. In an operation that is going to, to, first of all, resurrect the dead bodies of the saints who have since departed to be with the Lord. They're there right now with Him in heaven, spirit and soul. And when that trump sounds, the graves are going to open. They're going to explode and burst open. And those bodies of the people that are there are going to be raised up in an atomic moment by the power of the living God. Secondly... What is being said right here is going to occur. Of course, in connection with what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians. He said, those that are alive and remain will also experience the same supernatural working of the power of the living God. And they are going to be changed. Should Jesus come tonight, today, tomorrow, you know, sometime this week or whenever... This twofold working of the operational power of God is going to take place. And those who are dead are going to have their graves open and they're going to be raised up out of them. And those who are alive are going to be changed and put on incorruptibility. We are going to receive a new body. So their bodies will be reunited with their spirit and soul and it will be incorruptible. And our bodies will be changed in the twinkling of an eye or in an atomic moment. And then, of course, we're going to go off and be with him in the air. And verse 53 says, For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. Now, beloved, once this takes place, can you imagine the effect it is going to have upon the people of the earth? I mean, God likes to make statements, but I'm going to tell you something. This is a statement that He is going to make that's going to capture the attention of all. Turn with me, if you would, please, while I'm saying this, to the book of Revelation to save some time in chapter 4. This is going to be God's attention getter. There are people alive right now, and there can be people alive right now that hear my voice who are not ready to meet their Lord. And I'm talking about not being born again. They're not ready to meet their Lord. And you could try to convince them with all the convincing power that you have, all the persuasive that you have. But yet they refuse to listen to the message of the Word of God. The gospel is being preached by every vehicle known to mankind upon this earth right now, endeavoring to get out the message of salvation to the multitudes of people that are out there right now. But many in multitudes are not listening, and they don't have anything to do with the Lordship of Jesus Christ. 
Well, beloved, one day this event is going to take place and it is going to be a tremendous attention getter. It will have a, an effect, a global effect upon all the people of all society. Those graves are going to burst open. Those bodies are going to be removed. Millions upon millions of people are going to be removed from the earth. Babies are going to be gone. Young adults, those that are under the age of accountability, young children, whether they're from safe families or unsafe families, are going to be removed from this earth. And they're going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye, an atomic moment. And they're going to meet the Lord in the air. There will be mothers crying out that don't know God, where's my child? There are going to be news reporters on TV from morning to night, 24 hours a day around the clock, reporting what has happened, what has happened, what has gone on. They don't know, they can't explain it. They don't know what is going on. But beloved, it is going to be a tremendous attention getter. And those that are alive today who know the gospel, who have not responded to the gospel, are going to make a decision at that time for Christ. They're going to know what happened. They're going to know what took place. And they're going to make a decision for Christ. Now, it'll be too late for them to go in the rapture, and they'll have to stay here on the earth to go through a seven-year tribulation period. But, beloved, they're going to know what took place. They're going to know what happened. Now, while they're just finding all this out, while they're making a decision for Christ, all this chaos is taking place upon the earth. You know what's happening in heaven while this chaos is going on? You ready, saints of God, for this? Oh, I'll tell you what. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1 is talking about the rapture of the church. After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me was said, Come up hither. That's the rapture of the church. You want to know what that noise was? You want to know what that trumpet sound was? Almighty God saying, Come up here. He reaches over, taps the son on the shoulder, says, go ahead, bring him home. Come on up here. And off we go. And when we get up there, see, we read this before and we thought, well, that's John having a good high time there in glory. Hallelujah. I mean, John, you're just having a marvelous time. Wish we were there. Well, you know what? You are. We are. In the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne... And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were, were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment. And they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings of voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are in the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. In the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes and before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, the second beast like a cap, the third beast the face of a man and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle and the four beasts of the, each of them six wings about him and they were full of eyes within and they rest day and night saying holy 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 lord god almighty which was and is and is to come and when those beasts give, give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever the 20, four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and they worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying thou art worthy o lord to receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things for thy pleasure they are and were created and i saw the right hand of him that sat upon the throne a book written within the backside sealed with seven seals and i saw a strong angel Proclaim with a loud voice, and it goes on talking about the things that he saw. Well, beloved, the things that he sees are the things that we see also, because we are up there with him, and we see these things occur, while the people down here are going, What happened? What, what, what took place? 
What's going on? And we're up there, praise God. And we're viewing all this. And all of a sudden, because see, things have to unfold now. Now that we're out of here, things have to unfold on earth. But before those things are revealed, before those seals can be loosed, we're up there. We're watching all this take place. And then here's what happens. Verse 2 says, I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open a book and loose the seals thereof. No man in heaven, nor on earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book. Now to look thereon, and I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open a book, to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, in the midst of the elders, and stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, with the seven spirits of God, sent forth in all the earth, and he came. And took the book out of the right hand of him and set upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty others fell down before the Lamb, having every one of harps and golden vows full of odors of the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood. Now notice, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation... And has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Those are the redeemed. We are the redeemed. And we're up there with them, the angels, the elders, as they begin to sing out. We begin to sing out that you are worthy, Jesus. You are worthy, Jesus. And we all begin to glorify him. You redeem us by your blood. You're the worthy one. You unfold the seal. You can lose the seals and unfold what's about to take place on the earth. We're up there, beloved, when all this is going on. And I beheld and heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing, and every creature which is in heaven and on earth, and we'll be up there. Do you see all this? Are worshiping the Father God and the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. So, while all that's taking place on earth, we are up there and we're having a glorious time. And Jesus is about to loose the seals and reveal what's about to take place on the earth now that the church has departed. Not the Holy Ghost, but the church has departed. Now, very simple, to simplify, as I said, in thy Bible prophecy, we understand that very clearly and we can get more into that, but I don't want to do that because I want us to understand some other events. The next event that will take place after the rapture of the church is found here in Revelation chapter 6 and verse 1. It begins in Revelation chapter 6 and verse 1. Obviously, we don't have time to go through it all because it goes right on through chapter 19 of Revelation and verse 21. So, the next event to occur on the earth after the rapture of the church is called the tribulation period or Daniel's 70th week. And we see it here, Revelation 6, 1, and goes right on through chapter 19 and verse 21. Now, the tribulation period is a period of seven years that begins after the rapture, in which God deals with Israel for the purpose of purifying them and bringing them back to a place where He can fulfill the everlasting covenants He made with their fathers. That's what it's all about. It's divided into two sections, the first part being the first three and a half years called the Lesser Tribulation, and the second part being the next three and a half years called the Greater Tribulation, because, of course, there's going to be the wrath of God poured out in such a way upon the earth, calamity, vengeance, wrath, trouble, 
more than Israel has ever, ever experienced in their entire existence, than the earth has ever seen in its entire existence. But very briefly and very quickly, an explanation of what this is. The tribulation period is Daniel's 70th week. Something that will help us simplify end-time Bible prophecy. If you recall back in Daniel chapter 9, it was revealed to Daniel about what was going to befall God's people. And it was told to him that a period of 70 times 7 years, or 70 weeks, 70 weeks of years, 70 times 7, were left upon the people of Israel. You divide that into three different sections and you'll come up with the first 7 weeks, or 49 years, and then 62 weeks, or 434 years, which combined together equal 483 years. So, in other words, from the time that Daniel was re- received the prophecy, from the time that he was told what was going to take place, 483 years have come and gone. The end of the 483rd year was marked by the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, when Jesus died on the cross, it was in the 483rd year. Now, there's only seven years left according to the prophecy that was given to Daniel. In other words, from the time of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, there should have been only seven years left. And that would be the end. But you see, what was not known was the fact that God's mercy was going to be manifested on the earth for a period of time called the last days in which the Gentiles could come in and experience salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so what happened was, if you can just see this, it's very simple to understand, God's time clock with regard to the Jewish nation stopped. God was not dealing with Israel any longer. Now the time of the Gentiles is upon us. Jesus Christ died, He rose again. That marked the period we talked about as the last days. From His first advent right on through to His second advent, that period of time called the last days in which people can respond to what He did on the cross. That is the mercy and forbearance of God, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It wasn't going to just be His wrath poured out after the resurrection. There was going to be a period of time in which many would be saved. We call this the church age. So, what happened to Daniel's last week or last period of years, seven years? Well, we've not entered that yet. And that's why I said certain events take place according to God's timetable. From, 2000, from, from Adam to Abraham, 2,000 years. From Abraham to Christ, 2,000 years. From Christ until Christ's second advent, till He comes again. Do you see that? 2,000 years. Now, that doesn't mean that we're marking the year 2000 as being the, the actual year. It could be 1995. It could be 2001, 2003. We're not saying that. We don't predict any time and date. We're talking in approximates. Approximately the year 2000 will mark, as we said, the 6,000 years since Adam. God has given man approximately 2,000 years to get it right, to make a decision, to accept the blood of Jesus Christ as the only atonement for sin. To be born again and to follow the plan of God. So a man has had the Gentile time or age... 2,000 years have come and gone. Now, this tribulation marks the last week of Daniel's prophecy, which is the 70th week, a period of seven years. 
divided into two sections. The first section being the first three and a half years in which the Antichrist and the false prophet come together and begin a work. You understand that? Making a covenant with Israel and all that. Israel will go back and offering their sacrifices like they did to God way back in the Old Testament. And all that will begin to take place and, you know, in the first three and a half years. But then the last three and a half years is marked as being the, the great tribulation. When the wrath of God will be poured out and there will be chaos and there will be vengeance and there will be trouble upon this earth like the earth has never seen before. And so this event, the tribulation period, the seven years, takes place after the rapture of the church. A short time after that, we don't know exactly when it begins, but we know that this is going on up in heaven before it begins. And then, all of a sudden, it takes place. And you see all this revealed in Matthew chapter 24. Jesus talking to the people about it. In Matthew 24, he gives a whole scenario as to what's going to take place in the end times. And if you want, you could turn to that and read it for yourself. But that's what's going to happen in that period of time. Jesus talked about it. It's referring to the Israelites. Now, please listen carefully. Why do you believe that the rapture is pre-trib? I believe it because 483 years before Christ came and the crucifixion, God was dealing with the Jewish people, the Israelites, as a nation. These last seven years are not in reference to the church age. You'll not find any reference to the church after chapter 3 of the book of Revelation. Because chapter 4 marks the church as being raptured, being removed out of the earth. God's time clock clicks back on for the Jew and the Israeli nation. And once again, God begins to deal with the Israelites. And the Jewish nation and people to purify them and bring them back to a place where he can fulfill the covenants that he made with their fathers. Therefore, we understand that it's all shifting back over to the Middle East. It's all shifting back over to the Ten Kingdoms. All shifting back over there to to Israel. And God is dealing with them. And so we're out of here. We're gone. Thanks be to God. Can you say amen to that for sure? (laughs) Amen. Besides, in Romans, the Bible says that if we were saved by the blood of Christ, being sinners, thank God now, being children, we'll be spared from wrath. And this is talking about the outpouring of God's wrath. Now, I want you to notice the next event that will take place in God's calendar. Turn with me, if you would, please, to the book of Revelation, chapter 19. See, all that is reference to the tribulation period. Now, we're not going into any detail. We're just talking about that's what's going to happen in that particular period of time, in those seven years. Now, at the end of those seven years, we have what is called the Battle of Armageddon and also the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 19 and verse 11. Now, remember, in this three and a half year, first three and a half year period, second three and a half year period, we understand things are going to take place. There's going to be the, Rome, the, the ten kingdom of the old Roman Empire coming together. We know the Antichrist is going to deceive many at the very beginning. There's going to be deception and all that. Israel, they're going to think they're entering into a, a pact or coming to peace. They offer the sacrifices once again. They are deceived in all this. And all of a sudden, after three and a half years, I mean, it all breaks loose. Nations will rise up against Israel. I mean, they're ready to wipe Israel off the face of planet Earth. And unless Jesus would come, you know, if he doesn't come, I mean, they're gone. They're history. They're out of here forever. And all these armies are coming together. I mean, they're going to destroy the nation of Israel. Look at verse 11. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. Chapter 19, verse 11. 
And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven. How many of you know that we are the army of God upon the earth? But how many of you know that when we leave earth in our rapture, we become part of the armies of God in heaven? Jesus isn't coming by himself. He's bringing the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. He treadeth the winepress, and the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. He hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourself together unto the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of the kings, the flesh of the captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and of them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him which had the sea them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone and the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse which sword proceeded out of his mouth and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. This is called the battle of Armageddon. This is called the second coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Here he is coming with his saints. Here he is coming with the armies of heaven. In the rapture, He is coming for His saints, for us who are alive on earth and those who have died. There's a difference between the two, a marked difference between the two. But the seven-year tribulation period will end with the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in the battle of Armageddon. Now here we see on this final day of tribulation in the valley of Medigo, the Antichrist and the combined armies of his ten-nation kingdom plus 200 million strong demon-controlled allies are gathered together for this battle of Armageddon. And they think that they are going to overthrow Israel. They are going to do their best to, to do what they possibly can to overthrow Israel and take control of the entire kingdom. But, beloved... I mean to tell you what's going to take place is Jesus is going to be revealed. He's going to come upon the Mount of Olives. They are all going to see Him. They've got their 200 million demonized people, influenced people following them, their allies. We've got the false prophet, the Antichrist, all combining together in their efforts, joined forces together to overthrow what God is doing in Israel upon this earth. And all of a sudden, their eyes are going to take heed as they begin to see Jesus appear in the clouds and then come down on the Mount of Olives in the second coming. And when he comes, he is going to come with all the armies of heaven. We are gathered together with the angels, gathered together with, with Christ himself on white horses coming in. And beloved, I'll tell you what, we're going to wipe them out. Yeah, I'm telling you, we are going to absolutely wipe them out. We're part of the armies of heaven and we're coming with him. And I mean to tell you, it's going to be in great power. As a matter of fact, if you mark down this scriptural reference, Matthew 24, 30 says, they're going to see him come in power and great glory. How are we going to wipe him out? By the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, by his angels, by his saints, by cloudbursts, by great hailstones, by fire and brimstone, pestilence and blood, the Jewish army self-destruction, and also by the sword of Christ. 
All these combined forces coming together in the battle of Armageddon. And I mean to tell you, the false prophet and the Antichrist, you know where they're going. They're cast into the lake of fire that burns with brimstone. After that, we enter into what is called the millennial reign of Christ. Look at chapter 20 and verse 1. We see it revealed here in verses 1 through 6. It says, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and the great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loose for a little season. Notice that, a little season. And I saw thrones, and they that sat on them, upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the sword of God, for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads and in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. That is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now notice, the thousand year millennium, millennial reign of Christ begins when Satan is bound and sealed and chained, shut up in a bottomless pit for one thousand years, no longer able to deceive the people upon the earth. He is sealed there for that time, and this planet begins to experience a thousand years of peace like it's never experienced before. It is under the divine government of the Lord Jesus Christ, as Isaiah said, the government shall be upon His shoulders, and He'll reign as King of kings and Prince of peace and Lord of lords, and show this world how it should be run. And for one thousand years, as we said, that seventh day of creation, which was a day of rest, will be a day of peace. Animals will be changed. The lion will lay with the lamb. And you know all that. There's going to be a place of perfect righteousness, perfect health and prosperity. There's going to be a beautiful environment upon the earth and, and peace like is never seen before. But also, very quickly, culture marker there, if you would, please. And Isaiah chapter 65 and verse 20 reveals to us there's going to be death during that time. That not everybody will remain alive. But there will be death. Notice verse 20 of Isaiah 65, referring to the millennial reign of Christ. Death will continue. As a matter of fact, the death penalty will be carried out upon those who commit death penalty sin acts. During that time, Jesus is King of kings, Lord of lords. He sets up a system. People are going to have to obey. If they disobey and commit acts of sin... That are, that are guilty of death, they will die in that 1,000 year period. Some will die at 100, some will die at 200. Some will die at 500. But, listen to this, if they obey Christ and His government, in that period of time, they are obedient, whether they're saved or unsaved. Because there will be people born, will be born at that time. Not everybody's going to be automatically saved. It's up to them. It's their decision as to whether or not they'll be saved. Whether they're saved or unsaved, if they obey his government rule and leadership, they'll still remain alive for 1,000 years. Verse 20. There shall be no more thence an infant of days, nor an old man that hath not filled his days. For the child shall die an hundred years old. But the sinner, being a hundred years old, shall be accursed. And they shall build houses and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and eat them and, and the fruit of them and all that. But a child will be considered 
hundred years old in that day. Well, a hundred years old to a thousand years old considered, is to be considered child, is it not? But at a hundred, if they sin and commit that sin that is guilty of the death penalty, they'll die at a hundred years old. If they commit that sin up to two hundred years old, they'll die because of the death penalty. They'll be sentenced to death and they will die. But sinners and sane people alike, if they will obey Christ, they'll live to be one thousand years old upon the earth with Him. In that perfect state. Now turn back with me, if you would, please, to Revelation chapter 20. I know we've got to go quickly through this. There's not time to get into full detail about everything. But I feel in times in which we're living right now, it's important for us to at least have some insight and understanding with regard to future events and some things that are going to take place. In Revelation chapter 20, the end of the 1,000-year millennial reign of Christ is found here. In Revelation chapter 20, notice verse 7 and 8. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. Now remember, it says that he was there for a short season, for a short time. And if you'll follow that through throughout the Scriptures, when the Scriptures make reference to a short period of time, it's referring to somewhere between three to three and a half years. Satan then, after spending 1,000 years in the abyss or the bottomless pit, is going to be loose. Now notice for a short time. He's loose for a short period of time to deceive the nations once again. So in that period of, let's say, three to three and a half years, he'll be about trying to deceive the nations and the people once again. You say, I don't understand that. A thousand years living with Christ, how can anyone choose to follow him? Beloved, if anything, this makes what we have more real. Even though Christ will live upon the face of the earth... It doesn't mean everybody has to accept Him as Savior. There's still free will moral agents to do what they choose with their lives. And when they're born, once again, they've got to make a decision, just like we had to make a decision to accept Christ as Savior and Lord. And if they don't accept Him, then that nature of death is still laws inside their hearts. They're still sinners. As I said, the sinner is a curse. The sinner is still a curse throughout the thousand years. But the thing is, they'll live to be that old because the Satan's been bound up for a thousand years. But they'll die if they commit a sin that's guilty of the death penalty. But at the end, because wickedness is still in their hearts and they still want to do what is wrong and still rebel against the government of the Lord Jesus, although they're obeying so that they live. You know what? When Satan's loose for the three and a half years, what he's going to do is he's going to go about and recruiting members for his army. Those that really want wickedness and want evil in their lives, he's going to recruit them and he's going to take hold of them and he's going to list them in his army. And once again, there's going to be another battle. That's going to take place. So we see here, verses 7 and 8, And shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle. And once again, for what purpose? To overthrow the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ here upon this earth. Beloved, now I guess we don't really feel that bad. If Jesus could live here on this earth and, and set up a government system upon this earth and still people not get saved. I mean, dear God, doesn't that tell us that we can't save everybody in the world today? He's not going to be able to do it. He didn't do it. He couldn't do it when he was here on earth. He's not going to do it when he's here during that 1,000 years. And when Satan is loose because those people want wickedness in their lives and their hearts are after evil, he's going to accommodate them and they're going to join up with him and we're going to have the battle of Gog and Magog, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And you talk about a war. Satan will be loose a short period of time. Many will be deceived. They're, going to ex- they're not going to accept Christ. They're going to follow uh, Satan. And he's going to lead them in a battle in, against the kingdom of God upon this earth, that is the kingdom of Jesus. 
But the Bible says that they're going to be devoured up by the fire of God. They're going to be devoured up by the fire of God at that particular time. And they'll be overthrown and destroyed and cast into the lake of fire. And then, once they're cast into the lake of fire, what's going to take place on God's calendar events is going to be the great white throne judgment. And then the new heavens and new earth. As you read on there, you'll notice, let's read on from verse 9. And they went up upon the breadth of the earth, encompassed the camp of the saints about in the beloved city, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now that ends that period of deception. And the last effort that Satan has, you say, well, why? Beloved, because once again, from the very beginning, what's God wanting to do? To find out how he can segregate people. Those that really want to serve evil will always have their chance. Even after the thousand years, they'll still have a chance. And if they want to do wrong and they want to reject Christ, they still can. But it'll be the last, that, the last opportunity. That'll be the end of it all. Because after this comes a segregation. And we see it right here. They have all decided now, to, now in the face of living with Jesus Christ for 1,000 years, they have still elected to follow Satan at the end of it all. Hard to believe, I realize that, but they did it. And now, the great white throne judgment takes place after that. Look at the next verse. And I saw a great white throne, and him set upon it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the, book, the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. The de death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And that will be an eternal segregation. Light from darkness. Good from evil. Blessing from cursing. Death from life. Once and for all throughout eternity. After the great throne, white throne judgment, we have... Um, Found in Revelation chapter 21, you can read that right on through the end. A renovation of the heaven and earth and a new heaven and a new earth. And God's kingdom coming down upon the earth, setting up New Jerusalem upon this earth where God inhabits the earth, lives on the earth with man. And life and activity will go on upon this earth in such a way that we can't even begin to imagine where we are living with Him and reigning with Him. And that will be the... That will usher us into the end of all things. The eternity of the eternal ages. When God sets up His kingdom and demonstrates throughout the eternal ages the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness towards us. As we live with Him and reign with Him upon this earth. Beloved, in closing, I want you to turn to one more scripture with me, if you would please. In the book of Colossians. Very quickly, the book of Colossians, chapter 2 and verse 8. We read, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy in vain deceit after the tradition of men and the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. In other words, there are those that will have their own human philosophies. There will be those that have their own opinions, scientific theories and religious cults and whatever. And they believe differently than what I just revealed to you today. But you know what, beloved? Don't let any man deceive you. Don't be deceived by any of it. You know that what God's Word says about the future events of mankind are true. And the thing that we are to do right now more than anything else, these are the sequel of events. These things will take place whether we believe it or don't believe it. What we are to do, the Bible says, is to be ready on this earth and live each and every day as if it were the last day that we would live upon this earth. As a matter of fact, 
I believe that this message is intended to do these things. Number one, to get us to love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ as we have never served Him before upon this earth. And that includes each and every one of us. Number two, to eliminate any sin or spiritual lukewarmness that we may experience in our lives right now. To eliminate it from our lives once and for all. Number three, to identify us with the local body of believers that exalts the Lordship of Jesus Christ and to do God's will with regard to our relationship to that local body. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.